0: Hello and welcome to the Facing Up podcast with me, Luke Grenfell-Shaw. In 2018, at the age of 24, I was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Since then, I have been on a journey full of challenges, which has led me to ask the question, how do we face up to the challenges in our lives? To help me answer this question, each week I learn from different guests how they faced up to the challenges in their own lives, And perhaps even how they led to opportunities. I hope that by listening you will be better able to face up to the challenges in your lives so you can live your best life today. Have you ever felt trapped in your job? Stuck in a career that doesn't work for you? Not really enjoying where you are right now but unsure how to take the next step? If these questions resonate with you, then I think this could be an episode that you will really enjoy. This week, I am talking with Philip Taylor, who worked his way up to become a senior executive at IBM, a job that came with a great salary, company car, I'm sure unlimited coffee, and in the eyes, I think, of many people and society, gave it all up changed career paths dramatically, and has started work for the Southeast Ambulance Service. He also happens to be my godfather, which meant I could collar him for this episode. We're going to be talking about why Philip left IBM, what the challenges were that he faced, and how he shifted trajectory. And we also dip into some thoughts on materialism. This episode is trialing a new format. I'm going to be splitting this conversation into two. So the first part, we're going to be talking about Philip's transition from IBM to the Southeast Ambulance Service. And then the second half, focusing on his current work, including how Philip and the team that he is part of have dealt with COVID. I really hope that you can join us for both halves. But right now, Philip, it is uh, fantastic to have you on the podcast. This is a conversation I've been wanting to have with you for quite a while. So welcome to Facing Up. Thank you, Luke. Thank you for inviting me. So to begin with, why did you want to leave
1: your job at IBM? I think that's uh, question could probably keep us going for the entire podcast. Actually, <laughs> it's, uh, um, th- there was no one single answer. Um, And if I look back, I mean, firstly, I joined IBM while I was at university. Um, I wrote to 40 companies asking for summer holiday work. And one of those companies wrote back and I stayed there for the next 32 years. Um, So it's funny how you fall into things sometimes by accident. And I think that that's what happened to me. I don't think I had great career advice at school. I don't think I had great thought processes in this is what I really want to go and do. I was good at maths so I did maths and I did computing at university. I enjoyed that and I fell into a computing related job. Mm. And IBM being a very, very big um, multi-disciplined organisation was somewhere that I could go and do lots of different things over over three decades. I remember a time probably 15 years ago, where I was not particularly happy with what I was doing. And at the time, I had two young children. I had a large mortgage. Um, the children at the time were at a private prep school. And the risk of, if you like, throwing that away and not knowing what I wanted to do was probably well, was much, much higher. Mm. And I had a long chat with a, a good friend, actually, the, the man who was my best man about where I was and what I wanted to do. And he said, well, you got two choices. He said, you can throw this in and go and find out what you want to do, or you stay with the job with all of its unhappinesses and the good money and the flexibility and alongside that you do other things that make you happy so playing with an orchestra being a school governor working with a charity that brought kids over affected by chernobyl to this country all of those things which i was doing alongside work and i had a long think about that and thought well actually at this point in my life keeping the stability of You know, as I say, a nice salary. You said nice company. The one thing that you don't ever get at IBM is free coffee. Oh, no. Um, (laughs) Oh, I'm never going. They're lost to me. Uh, Absolutely. Um, So at that point, that was the right decision. But Mm. then coming forward another another 15 years to 2018, and probably a couple of years before that, I felt that the company had moved much more from when I joined in the mid-80s when it was a family-oriented, friendly, caring, supportive company, to now where I think like probably the majority of corporations, the only thing that matters is the bottom line. Right. And one of the f- side effects of that is that obviously if you're working to the bottom line, you focus intently on cost. And where I believe the company has got to in, in a, a large part is that people are pure cost. Right and so workers are a drain on the budget they're as as dispensable as not buying another computer w- was you know or not buying another desk or not repainting the office you know you, right i guess i want to be a little bit careful because i don't want this to come across as me slagging off ibm i think ibm does a huge amount of good in the world and it's done me a lot of good in 32 years but where i I, the tipping point for me was when, almost with the, the the stroke of a pen, the company took 40% of the people out of the group I, I sat in in the UK, took them out with involuntary redundancy at UK statutory minimum payment. Right. So, you know, five years ago, Involuntary redundancy was a dirty word, and it was all voluntary and it was incredibly generous yeah back th- down to now so if and, and of course, that made me do the sums and if I had left at that point un- under that involuntary scheme, if i'd been forced out, I would have left with about two months' salary after working there for thirty years or so 30, yeah thirty two years and, and how does that make you feel as a as a human being? <laughs> It made me feel um, I mean, worthless might be a little bit too strong, but it was almost there. It was actually they don't care about me as a person. They care about me as a Philip costs us this much on the bottom line. Mm. And actually we could we could get rid of him because you know, what I've found out and I've been through a lot of these programs at IBM is that you you get rid of people but the work doesn't go away and it just gets shared out and of course there are efficiencies and you start looking at artificial intelligence and all that sort of stuff but Mm. the work never never really goes away and as I say it was a tipping point for me it was a realization that I actually was at a point where I was doing a job at a high level with immense pressure constant work you know never really switching off when you're on holiday or you're at the weekend or at the evening and I had to decide do I put up with that and with all the benefits the fabulous salary the you know the company car, the private medical health insurance all of this stuff that you get as a as the cotton wool that wraps around you yeah or do I think you know what it's time for me to go and do something else and what that process did was it made me stop do the sums um work out what we could afford um and compared to 15 years ago when i had that conversation about stay here and do things alongside i was now at a point where i could say well actually you know what i can take some of my pension now i can afford to do a job that doesn't pay very much and believe me the ambulance service doesn't pay very much um, and but I don't have a mortgage anymore. Mm. And my girls have left home. So things had shifted. I'm
0: really interested that you said you had this mental conversation and this conversation with your best man 15 years ago. You weren't that happy at IBM, but you made the decision you could do these other activities around the side. Now me in my, you know, crusader mode would go, Well, you weren't happy at IBM. I can't believe how that could ever be the right decision to stick with IBM and do these other things around the side, because the idealist in me would say, just follow your heart and find your ideal career. I'm really interested that you said it was the right decision. So I was wondering if you could expand a little bit more on
1: that, because it's more complex than I'm making it out to be
0: of just follow your
1: heart. And it's interesting you say that because one of the things I love doing is coaching people. And I've coached a good number of people at all sorts of levels when I was in IBM and and some outside. And there's a, a lady I coached who was a new graduate into IBM, coached her all the way through that process. And then as she worked her way through, she then wanted to go and leave and do an MBA. And she had to choose. Between going to uh, a, a Canadian university for two years or going to Cambridge for one year, and could not make the decision, and we had uh, you know one of many coaching sessions over coffee in the National Theatre, um, and I said exactly that to her. I said, you know, we sort of done the pros and the cons, and I said, where's your heart? Mm. And you know, it stopped her dead, and she she looked at it and she thought about it, and she said, "Well, it's it's Canada." And I said, "Okay." Um, and then three weeks later, she told me she'd accepted the place at Cambridge. So, you know. <laughs> oh, goodness, that's not what you expected. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, but I think what I'd done was I'd enabled her to think about it in a slightly different way, and I I think she felt that a Cambridge MBA um, carried more weight than you know, an MBA from a university that many people won't have heard, heard of. However, however good. Um, to come back to the question, though, I think that 15 or so years ago, it was too frightening to look at, if you like, taking that jump from the established settled and and you said in your introduction you know the sort of job that most people would think well this this you've got everything it's it's everything you everything you want it's a, a stable solid you know good company to work for successful um and i think also there's something that comes with um I mean, I think it's taken me a lot longer to get to the point, probably where you are now, to your 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 point about well, you know, Philip, just just leave, you know, just go and follow your heart, go and go and do what's <laughs> right. And and I was looking at you know relatively new house, big mortgage, two children, um, and and there are there are elements to the equation which I think would probably have been too frightening to 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 leave at that point. i'm
0: really interested you're using the word frightening here because that that implies i suppose that you're scared about doing something rather than it necessarily being the right or the wrong decision it just seems too much to go there do you think if you i'm pushing you a bit here you know do you think Mm -hmm. had taken that jump that overcome that fear how do you think that would have actually worked out
1: Uh, i think and and hindsight is wonderful isn't it um (laughs) um I think I'd be in a very different place now. And the place I think I would be, so I need to talk about a friend of mine called Pete. Um, So Pete, probably a bit longer ago than this, gave up a management consultancy job at one of the big four Mm -hmm. um, in London. And I think he must have been in his uh, late 20s, early 30s. So he'd probably been there for eight, 10 years, something like that. Okay. Still quite early on in his career. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But he gave up all, you know, everything that I had at IBM, he would have had at that firm. And he went and joined the Southeast Coast Ambulance Service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew him because he played double bass in um, one of the orchestras I play in. As you do. <laughs> Philip plays the bass clarinet and the clarinet, you should say. <laughs> Very well. indeed. Uh, thank you, Luke. Um, uh, so he joined and he joined, you know, at the, the lowest level, which is what I've now done. Um, gradually worked his way through, became a paramedic practitioner, which is the level above paramedic. It's the you know the master's degree on top of the normal paramedic. So it became very very skilled, very senior. Um, and then in more recent years, moved from the ambulance service to East Surrey Hospital in Redhill, um, and he was one of the team that ran the miners' unit in A&E.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I I think. Yeah, you know, preempting maybe one of the questions about why did I move to what I'm doing. I think somewhere in the back of my mind has always been, well, Pete did that, did it a long time ago and look where he's got to. So I think if I had made that decision, I mean, firstly, I don't I, I didn't know this wasn't a career that I really thought about 15 years ago. Yeah. So there's there's a lot sort of dancing about about yes. why did I do this and when did I do it and why didn't I do it 15 years ago. Mm. Um but I think, you know, conceivably, I would have take, followed a similar path to, to the path that Pete led. Okay. Um, and, and the reason I mentioned him, again, preempting some of the conversation we'll have, is he's very much in my mind at the moment because he contracted COVID, spent a month in intensive care, intubated, and he lost his life. And, you know, that's tough. You know, those yeah. are the things that you don't often come across in big corporates um, yeah. you know it's a uh, we're much nearer the edge in many ways I think
0: that illustrates the reality of and the risks of what you do and and what Pete did and yeah. you know you, there aren't any guarantees in any job that you do but you certainly put yourself at different risks when you put yourself on the medical front line
1: yes yes I I think it's interesting. I sort of feel in many ways that I've I've bumbled my way through my working life. Hmm. I've I've had some success. I've done well at it. I was I know I was respected at, at IBM um for what I did and what I knew and how I worked with people. Um but with hindsight and had I had, you know, some 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 good career advice from people who were actually interested in me. Yeah. I think I probably would have gone into the medical field in some form Mm. or
0: another. That's interesting. And it's, as you say, hindsight is an easy thing to to come across. Uh, And I, it does make me wonder to what extent, I mean, whenever I hear the word fear or, or afraid uh, or or scared of doing something, I now, I think partly having watched some of like Brené Brown's uh, Ted talks. And to me, that's, more of a reason to jump into doing something and it's very easy for me to say uh particularly when I'm not having to do anything more than sit in my chair right now but (laughs) you know do the things that make you afraid are usually things to take on in, in my experience but that doesn't
1: make them at all easy and I think you're right I don't I don't think any of this is easy I think I was just you know again back to your point of why didn't i do this 15 years ago i i th- i just don't think i was in the right space at that point point. and i think you know entering my 50s i was actually at a point where i thought you know what i can do this yeah. I, I can go and do something completely different yeah um i want to flip the question round as hmm. well in that i'm saying
0: oh philip 15 years ago you could have just followed your heart However, I'm quite interested to know what you think about someone in, um, you know, I'm relatively, we're pretty unencumbered by responsibilities. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have kids. I don't have a wife. It's so easy for me to say this. I'm just wondering what your perspective on that might be, how different it is when you do have a mortgage and you do have these responsibilities. Am
1: I almost being insensitive? i don't think you're being insensitive but i think everybody has things around them um which have to be considered so when i was considering this 15 years ago um you know i had to think about the mortgage you know because if i had left my job at that point and gone to something like i'm doing now that would almost well, certainly would have necessitated you know, downsizing the house. So that would have had an impact on my wife, my children, our way of life, where we lived, um, and would have had a huge, huge impact on other people. Mm. Now, that may or may not have been the right thing to do at the time. I decided at the time that it wasn't and stayed with it. Um, I, I think that... I so I don't think you're being insensitive, but I think you're right that, you know, you, Luke, where you sit, have a different set of things around you. And by things, I mean, you know, responsibilities, experiences, commitments, whatever they might be. Um, you've got a, a different set to the ones I have mm. um, and a, a different, uh, I guess, a, a different outlook as well um, and a different a a different drive for what you want to achieve and
0: there did come a point where you no longer had a mortgage that you could i guess take this risk you talked about seeing the way that ibm treated its employees almost as numbers as drains on on the bank balance was there a tipping point you saying that was a bit of a tipping point what was the thing that actually made you hand in your resignation
1: um well so january twenty eighteen was when this round of redundancy came um and as I say, it wasn't the first one I'd been through um, but it was it was the scale of it taking forty percent of the people out of a group um it was the it was almost the brutality of it that that you know it was well, we can do this easily and cheaply in the u k because of the legislation on involuntary redundancy so we're going to do it all there we're not going to try and do it in france or germany or the netherlands where the works councils make it really hard oh i see so they're doing all their cuts essentially in the uk because that's where it all
0: meant the majority
1: Uh, certainly not all but um you know it's far easier given the legislation in the uk than it is in, in other countries and that's why they you know that was my experience mm, mm. when I asked senior people, you know, why why are you doing this? And they said, because well, we can. Right. You know, it was it was just, well, it's just business. Don't worry, it's not personal, you know. <laughs> but actually it, it has a big impact. So that was January. Um, as I say, went through the whole process, saw lots of people leave. You know, I wasn't at risk. Um, obviously I was considered as one of the 140, yeah, because I sat within that group. Yeah. Um but it did, it left a sour taste in the mouth, and mm. it was so that then made me, as I said earlier, do the sums. can I afford to make a change, and worked out what I would need in order to be able to leave mm. um, and then there were just little things and and this will sound really daft, but I was sitting in my home office um, looking out of the window one day. And uh, an ambulance drove past. <laughs> and on the ambulance, it said, driver training. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was just one of those funny little signs that, oh, oh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I could be doing that. Yeah. Um, and my wife, Liz, had, um, had said, you know, at some point in the last few years, you know, that she'd seen some, if something happening somewhere out in, in public where there was an ambulance crew or whatever. And she thought, "Oh, Philip could do that, you know? And so there were just little, little nudges. And then I I guess the big nudge was, I really have to decide now whether I stay with IBM until I'm 60 or 63 or whatever Mm. and put up with the pressure or I make the jump, whatever the jump is. And, you know, it, I can't pretend that all I've ever wanted to do is be a paramedic. That's not true, mm. uh, but having found this, and then, you know, I started looking for vacancies and found this one at the Southeast Coast Ambulance Service mm. and applied for it and, you know, went through and, and and got the position. So it was, you know, finding the vacancy, getting the nu- these little nudges along with the big kick. Mm. The big kick was do something different and the little nudges were, this is what you're going to go and do.
0: Right. And it sounds like this is a slow process. This has been a, a considered gradual incremental change. that's happened over years for you rather than you know, two or three events happening in quick succession. And then, you know, like, right, I'm out, gone. Quite a, quite a sharp departure. This seems to be quite a, a measured and considered exit from IBM and movement into something else
1: absolutely it's not that you know i've just had a you know i've just been reamed out by a senior exec who's just torn me into shreds and i've had enough and i'm you know i'm i'm stomping out to see what the, you know I, it was nothing like that it, it was much more gentle and considered mm-hmm. um and i think you know there were other external influences people that i talked to who you know were beginning to say well you know are you happy with what you're doing is that um And again, think with hindsight, one of the really interesting things is I bumped into somebody, hadn't seen him for a couple of years, he didn't know that I wasn't still at IBM, and told him just very briefly what I was doing. And he looked at me and he said, that's why you look younger. (laughs) And I thought, wow, you know, somebody hasn't seen me through this whole process, but has can notice that there's a real physical difference in me. Yeah. And then that makes me think, well, wow, you know, I'm so pleased that I've made this change in my life if that's the impact that it's having, because that's got to be good for me. Yes. Versus the, you know, the ongoing, as I say, high pressure of, of those sorts of jobs.
0: Yeah. And so when you, you handed in your resignation, you are no longer part of IBM, but you'd taken a lot of steps to reduce the amount of uncertainty at that point. Sounds like you very much had your next thing planned, but there still must have been ups and downs with that transition.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm quite a small c conservative sort of person. Um And, you know, I only handed in my resignation when I had my offer letter from the ambulance service in my hand. Right. Um, and because of the typical inefficiencies of NHS admin. um mm-hmm. You know that that was quite hard to get, um, and in fact, I had to ask IBM to be flexible with me because I needed to give less than my full notice in order to get on the first day of the course to oh,
0: to, to learn see. my new
1: job. Yeah. and they were great about that. Mm. Um, but just as as a, as a little side anecdote, mm. I, I worked for a very senior exec in the UK uh, in IBM, and when I went and gave him my resignation and told him what I was doing. He sat back in his chair and he said, I cannot tell you how jealous I am. And wow. it was fascinating because we talked earlier about what we are all encumbered by and what we all carry and the things that you have to take into consideration. And you know, this is somebody who is in his, I don't know, late thirties or something. Um, high flyer will go a very long way in IBM, has a huge salary massive house four children in private school you know so he's got all of that yeah. around him and you know if he looks over the over the fence at the alternative it's too big a step it's not you know but what he saw in me was somebody who was saying you know what i'm going to go and do something different and what i want to do rather than just carrying on with this wow that's
0: that's fascinating. a for your boss to be like, I'm so jealous of you. Yeah. I, that makes me really wonder what your boss is doing at IBM. And I was thinking, it's not something I had particularly planned on talking about, but it really seems to have come out of this conversation so far. The, you're saying he's got a big house. He's sending his children to, to private school. What's your take on the extent to which material possessions shackle us and restrain us rather than allowing us to live i guess a more enjoyable uh, and, and and enhancing our life because it sounds like you know your your boss and to an extent yourself with your own house you know these were mm-hmm. things that kept you from doing kept you and your boss from doing things that presumably you would both love doing more than being at IBM it's it's a fascinating what's the right word bind it's a fascinating paradox almost yes and and i guess is it a sacrifice worth making i guess that's my
1: question and i think it depends where you are at what phase of your life so sometimes yes sometimes no the talking to a colleague actually my crewmate at now at work um you know he said to me the other day says you know as i get older he said i now look at cars as something that gets me from a to b hmm. versus when i was 20 when i wanted the latest flashiest you know shiniest set of wheels you know because that would you know show everybody that you know i knew what i was doing and i'd got the best you know right so just a you know i i think you know we we all make decisions and things that matter change as we go through life hmm. um uh, you know i it, it it's one of those, it is a very deep question and, you know, probably too deep for, for, for this conversation.
0: <laughs> oh, it's never too deep. This is where we go into these these questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's the point of the podcast.
1: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But I think it depends where you are, doesn't it? And it, it, what phase of life you are. And, you know, how many people are you going to impact by making a decision? and you know, maybe that's the right thing to do at that mm. time. And everybody says, yep, you're right. We're going to sell the house. We're going to move to whatever, you know, I made the decision not to do that Um, until I'm now in the position where, you know, I can do, like we haven't had to give much up if anything, apart from the fact that I'm now driving my dad's 10 year old car instead of the, you know, the, the, the new German car that I had from IBM. So i don't think there are any rights and wrongs in this i think it's where you are at the time and what you decide matters um and and there'll be other pressures you know there'll be pressures of expectation from family from friends from colleagues
0: yeah that's that's very interesting i've just returned from about 10 days running around the southwest coastline and i had all my possessions um in, in a in a small backpack Ah, uh, no tent, a bivy bag, and a sleeping bag. And what I discovered over that ten days is that it's actually very liberating to be able to exist with very little. Like the less that, if you can be happy and get by with even less stuff, and you don't even need you don't need a hotel, you don't you don't even need a tent, you can just sleep under <laughs> the stars. Then um, suddenly you it 's a very freeing sensation, and maybe i 'm coming across as a hippie, but if you don't need all these material possessions to make you fulfilled and happy then it it kind of takes the pressure off needing to pursue them, i suppose, and this speaks to perhaps to the the stage of life that i 'm at that i um you know don 't have a, a family that wouldn't appreciate
1: living out in, in a bivy bag in the in the open air but but where you make me go thinking about what you've just said is the difference between working at IBM where I was in customer facing sales jobs, sales management, whatever, Mm. where it's all about money and the the only real motivation is, can I get more commission? Can I get a bigger pay rise? Right. Um, you know, what's the payback for me? How am I going to beat the competition? Um, and, and it's very aggressive actually. Mm. The, a, a lot of the language, a lot of the, uh, imagery, uh, whether it's competition in another firm or competition internally, because you're going to do better than Fred next door who, uh, you know, so that, so that you are higher up the pecking order in for promote, you know, so, so there's all of that going on. Whereas now, you know, the, the, the motivation is, well, it's, it's certainly not about money because, you know, there is absolutely nothing I can do in my job. Other than progress up the levels and, and get myself more qualified, mm, mm. Um, uh, you, you know, m- money doesn't come into it. it. The motivation is about making a difference to people, it's about doing the best I can in supporting senior colleagues that I work with every day, you know, and, and it's a complete mind shift. Mm. So, where you are, say, being able to go and bivvy on the beach. Um, I would hate. <laughs> I'd absolutely <laughs> hate it. You know, we, we we did a lot of camping um, when you know in in our um, when when the girls were younger, and it was never my favourite.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: uh, but yeah. but they loved it, and certainly sitting out, eating out, all that sort of stuff, I did enjoy. It wasn't well, yeah. I hated every minute of it. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's and we uh, a recent holiday with with Liz. You know, she wanted to go. With a backpack so she did yeah i took a big suitcase you know because i wanted to you know and and both were fine right um but i so i don't see you as a as a mad hippie at all i think that you're fortunate in that you have found some time when you're able to go and do what makes your heart sing Mm. and we're coming back to what you said right at the beginning about where's your heart where 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 is your heart in this? And I think if we can make our heart sing, mm. um, then we're probably on the right path. And if our heart is in our boots, you know, because it's it's squashed and it's not feeling uh, supported and held, then we might probably or might possibly be in the wrong place. Mm.
0: I think it's a lovely expression, like making our hearts sing, and I think that's where. If one is motivated by money, I don't think that's ever made someone's heart sing. And to me, perhaps the balance in, in material possessions is, I think you need enough to have your basic needs met and for your enjoyment of life, not to be barred because you you don't have a shelter over your head or you know if you're crammed into a small room. But beyond that, I think, yeah, what makes your heart sing is probably a very good barometer and Speaking from experience now, I wouldn't have always said this. That buying things, I only buy things for a purpose. When they, I don't know, buying sleeping bags, it means I can sleep under the stars. I, I don't, yeah. Or my bike, so it means I can go out riding, but not for, not for the sake of buying it. It's my little rule of thumb is if I'm excited to buy something, it usually means that it's a bad decision because you know when you're like excited <laughs> by the whole oh i really want this new toy like it was mm, when i was what 14 i bought an xbox 360 and i was more it was the process of buying it that i was very excited about and i wanted to sort of just rush the whole thing through because i didn't want my doubts to get in the way so my barometer mm. now is like if it's something i'm not really that excited to buy but i just think i'll, I'll use it and it still seems like a good idea in a Couple of weeks or a month, then it's probably not such a, a passing fad, and it's something I'm going to use. And it's the use of it, or the way it allows me to live, that makes me happy, rather than the process of buying
1: it itself. Well, and and it's the motivation, isn't it? It's it. What is the motivation for buying? It? Is it because it's the latest? Come back to your Xbox 360 at the age 14. You know, it's the latest, coolest gaming platform, and you know, all your mates will you know want to come around and play it, or you know, even possibly be jealous because you've got it and they haven't. I mean, I remember mm. when I was at school, um, I had some, you know, sons of very rich Americans, uh, you know, at school with me who always had the latest skateboard, you know, or or whatever it was. And huge envy. Um, so, you, you know, is the motivation external or internal? And if it's internal, you know, you're going to buy the best sleeping bag you can get because it's functionally going to give you what you want which is to Mm. sleep out in the stars and not freeze you know it's that uh, happens too (laughs) well yes but but you know it there's nothing external there's nobody who's going to be yeah uh, yeah, i mean there might be one or two look at the extra
0: stripes on that sleeping bag absolutely carbon fiber zip love it
1: (laughs) oh he's got four and a half seasons on that you know it's (laughs) um uh, (laughs) so But I think it's about motivation and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, if I look around my house now, how much of this stuff that we collect over a lifetime, you know, do we need? And there's an awful lot, I'm sure, that we could, we could discard quite happily. Um, But then you think, well, why am I, then why am I discarding it? You know, what, what purpose am I fulfilling? Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I think motivation and, you know, wh- why you do stuff, why why you have stuff. But I think it's interesting what you say about the, the less excited you get about buying something, the the more appropriate it is. I think that's a really interesting barometer. Mm. It's, it's worked for me
0: surprisingly well. When I bought my road bike back in 2011, it was probably the most expensive thing I had purchased and I wasn't particularly excited. I was kind of like, right, well, I've got to pay the money to get the road bike. And so I did, but it is hands down the best, almost 1,000 pounds that I have spent in my entire life. The amount of satisfaction it has given me on adventures, through fitness, getting into triathlon, exploring the Pennines, the Lake District, Spain, Russia. (laughs) Uh, It's taken me all over. That is it for this episode. I was really struck by Philip's much more gradual approach to changing careers, and that's not something that I expected. But it was also very interesting to hear how having responsibilities can really influence decision making. And I think it's a fascinating question on what degree of materialism is right for each person. Because with more objects and fancier objects also comes more responsibility as one is tied down to pay for them. I really hope that you'll join us for part two where we go on to discuss what made Philip's work in the Southeast Ambulance Service so rewarding and the contrasts with IBM. And indeed the perspectives that Philip and his team had on COVID-19 being on the front line do stay tuned.